Hey everybody, welcome to episode 182 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I am eager, but also a little bit nervous, frankly, to bring you this episode today because I know that sometimes we don't want to listen to uncomfortable conversations, but we're going to have one today so that we can all become more aware of the implicit biases that are embedded within our community so that we could all do a better job for standing up for what is right, particularly in the case of Ahmad Arbery, who was tragically shot and killed and who still requires justice. Some of you may have seen the I run for Maud or, or justice for Ahmad hashtags floating around last week after a video came out about his tragic death and we'll talk more about that case once I bring my guest on but it stirred in me a lot of things things I've been thinking about prevalently in my own life but maybe didn't have the courage to stand up for or to talk about and part of that's because I'm a white male and just like in cases where I'm talking about discrimination against women, sometimes I feel like I don't have a right to talk about something because I don't understand it maybe as well as I should. And so in this case, that fear has kept me from talking about it. And I recognize that that fear is irrational perhaps and also small compared to the, the real fear that many people of color and many women face in cases of racism or discrimination. So I'm not asking for sympathy, but I'm just telling you in my own, in my own way that I've had anxiety talking about these things, but it's too important not to. And I'm going to follow my own advice in this case. And I've talked about this on issues related to women's discrimination many times where in situations like this, you have to first listen and then secondly ask how you can be an ally before imposing your own perspective on something. And so we're going to do that here in this case. I'm going to listen and ask a lot of questions today of my guest. Alex Williams is joining us. She is a run leader in our Dallas training community and is a woman of color, a black female who helped me in a video she put out last week understand the call to action in this case and so I brought her on to talk about racism to talk about running and racism to talk about running and diversity and how we can be a more inclusive space for all athletes and so again we're going to get a little bit uncomfortable today but I think this is a topic that's important and too important not to discuss And while I have, again, my own guilt about not bringing it up sooner, I also figure that better late than never. So we're going to dig in on that. Before we do, quickly wanted to also let you know that you can still sign up for our three podcast training groups that just started today, actually, as we launch this episode. You can still get involved. If you go to our homepage, roguerunning.com, and scroll down, there's a news page you can go to that has all the links about where you can sign up for our three podcast training groups. We've got the main podcast group, which will gear you up for anything from 5k to the marathon for, for those intermediate and advanced athletes. We also have our women's only group 
that just kicked off. So the sign up link is there for that. And then we have a base training program for those that would like to really dig into expanding their aerobic foundation. All three of those programs start today, but you can still join over the next couple of weeks. So if you want to go sign up, go check out our website, scroll down, you'll see a news button and that news page has all of the links. So with that as a quick intro, let's jump into my conversation with Alex Williams on race and running. Welcome, Alex Williams, to the show. How are you doing today, Alex? Not too bad. It's Monday, so uh, <laughs> I'm playing. I actually know what day it is. <laughs> it's Monday, and you're not working today. Is that correct? I took the day off. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time with me on a Monday. You are one of the leaders in our Rogue Dallas community, and so I'm excited to have you on to talk about a really complex topic that may at times make us all uncomfortable, but is something that is clear we need to talk about because of the potential ramifications. And I wanted to just start by talking a little bit about the reason why we're having this conversation, which is because of the case of Ahmad Arbery, who was tragically killed in a situation on February 23rd, in which he was chased down by two white men with guns. This was a black man jogging in the neighborhood and he was killed by those men. And ultimately those men went free for two months until a video was leaked. And finally the outrage of the public forced action on the part of the local authorities. And so now those two white men have been arrested, but unfortunately Ahmad is dead and the running, running community came together last Friday on May 8th to try to call for justice for his death by running 2.23 miles on the day of his 26th birthday. It's an absolutely tragic story that really, at this point, given that there is a, a dead black man, cannot really have a happy ending or there's no, there's no, there's no, good feelings personally that I can have with the man dead. But hopefully what we'd like to do is use it at least as a way to have a conversation so that these things don't happen again, because obviously this isn't a one-off situation. Before we jump in to your story, Alex, did I miss anything in terms of an overview of, of that situation with the mod that you would like to discuss? No, you, you read the news story perfectly. Like we were on CNN. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well then, so we want to, we'll come back to that case, but that's the backdrop for why we're talking about this because there's a bigger issue at play here, which is uh, implicit biases, sometimes even over racism that exists in all parts of society, but also has maybe been pervasive in the running community in ways that aren't obvious. And I think also the issue of diversity and inclusion in the running community isn't where it needs to be. And you raised that yourself in a video that you put out on your blog page. I saw that video and you, you kind of gave a call to action for people like me and other leaders in the community to step up and talk about these things in which case. And then, so that's why you're coming on the show to talk about it. I took you, I took you up on it. But um, before we get into all of that, I want to start with your story as a black female in the Dallas community. You're also a distance runner. I've done a whole bunch of marathons and are training 
now to complete the world majors if we can ever actually do those races again. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but take us back. Give us your story. You grew up in Dallas. How did, how did things start for you and how did it evolve to eventually trying this distance running thing out? Yeah. Um, for me, I, I've always been this person that's a hybrid. Um, I, I have to stay in balance basically, or I'm out of balance. And so I grew up in Oak Cliff, um, which back then before it's been gingerfied right now, but, uh, it's pretty much the hood. Um, but I was smart. So I was living in the hood and then I went to a uber expensive college preparatory school called, uh, Episcopal school of Dallas still around and to let you know how much money they have Jerry Jones grandkids go to it and built our stadium. So, um, that, yeah, <laughs> it's that I do. I have that money. Don't come and ask me for the hookup or anything. No. Um, but I obviously was there for smarts and also to meet a quota. Um, even while there, um, as well as in college, I end up being in these places where, I am the one cool minority, uh, but then also kind of in both worlds where it's like all predominantly white and black, but then also going back home or wherever I'm at, like church or stuff like that, being so involved in the black community. And so I just found myself kind of this hybrid and connector of the two worlds. So in high school, um, I was the vice president of student council um, and ended up making a lot of changes there. And one of those was a big thing on our diversity um, inclusion there. So we had an amazing diversity di- uh, director of diversity. Um, I even talked to Mr. Brandon even till today, but we had amazing things in our community there as a school. When I went to college, similar thing. I graduated from Texas Tech. I have two bachelors there and um, ended up being a founding member of the Mentor Tech program, which really was all about keeping minority students there, but then making ensuring that they graduated Um, because oftentimes we just weren't supported and we needed the right tools and assistance while we were there. And so that's really what that organization um, was about. Still there, I I know it's over 10 years now. Um, It's crazy now, I'm kind of giving away my age, but um, (laughs) to even see that. So um, love the organization, still keep in contact with it, um, have given personally to the scholarship fund, um, received awards while I was there. And so it's dear to my heart. Um, after that, of course, I don't have school. So what ends up happening ends up being in the running community. Again, um, here in Dallas, <laughs> uh, before the big boom online, uh, again, in the same hub of being with all these different running groups from Dallas Running Club, um, wasn't called Rogue, but it was run on. Um, I knew a lot of their coaches and hung out with them, even Luke's Locker, all of those clubs here are pretty much been involved in one small or big, um, trained with them or hung out with them and just helping them. Um, and then I ended up serving on, um, I was actually a triathlete at the time. So that's how I got into distance running was I decided to learn how to swim (laughs) at the age of 25. And, um, then of course that was very, very small and hung out with some runners and kind of the rest is history. I ended up being on the board of the national black marathon association for about seven years, really, um, helped increase 
inclusion with races, working with them, um, established the first uh, annual summit where we had a, sorry, the, the Hall of Fame where we actually honored Blacks uh, that were in distance running. Um, and so I, I just stepped down from that last year just because I had too much and I wanted to expand out on my own. And so now what I do is just uh, consult a lot because in between this time, I actually have like a full-time job, which is a director of marketing. Um, that's my passion and loves are marathon and marketing. So I do a lot of cons- consultations um, with marathons and organizations on their marketing. But really my passion is the, is inclusion and diversity. So uh, one of the small but big ways I've done it is being the founder of the Bra and Brunch series. Um, and so that's really, uh, I'm very curvy. I'm short, but very curvy and busty. And a huge issue is one um, in the running community, not seeing people who look like me. And also I wanted to solve the issues with women's in the sports bra. And so that's what that event um, does. And so we have bras that go from all types of shape sizes and up and more. And so um, even digitally, I publish everything on my own for that. So um, I'm not new to this. I, I've been in this for a while. Of course, I'm a pace leader um, with Rogue here in the Dallas area. Um, and then kind of a bonus coach with the other coach, Alex, uh, she with the newbie runners. Um, they're, kind of, they're not newbies anymore. <laughs> they're, they're doing half marathons, but I come in and help with their lecture and help them with anything that's kind of getting them having barriers such as shoes or sports bras is one or just questions that they don't know how to ask um, or don't have anybody to ask about outside of running. That's really where I'm here to help them with that Um, from phone phone rolling, uh, sleep, all those things, and especially Garmin questions. So uh, that is me in a nutshell, uh, rambling a little bit, but that's really, that's really, really where I have my hands on and everything and, and how um, I pretty much got started in running from being a triathlete because running was my weakest uh, sport, actually. <laughs> you would think swimming, but um, I'm kind of natural to it because it's like dancing and water to me. And I've always mm-hmm. loved biking since I was a kid. So um, I, I have a bike in the room right now still. So uh, running has always been the weakest one. But, you know, when you hang out with runners, the next thing you know, you sign up for a 5K and then you know, it's a slippery slope and you're five marathons down. So it is indeed. I constantly tell people like, oh, no, don't start running. <laughs> Please don't. It, you say it's just a 5K and then next <laughs> thing you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, I think I want to go to Paris. And oh, there is a Paris marathon. How about a half? Okay, we could do this and this, and then you got seven continents happening. So, <laughs> so you know I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So so one of the things you talked about in your video posted recently in your blog is this idea that growing up in Oak Cliff, the idea of endurance sports wasn't really a thing there. So when did you really get exposed to it? Because triathlon, that's endurance sports. Yeah. And How did that gel with what you knew from growing up? Uh, Man, so the high school I went to, um, I was actually exposed to something called lacrosse. And uh, that was weird because 
<laughs> we had the first lacrosse females team at, at uh, ESD. And that was not, it was fairly new here. Um, and what, she's my godmother now, but um, my first race was actually a 5K to Susan B. Coleman. Um, and she's a breast cancer uh, survivor. And so Debbie, um, I ran with her. I had no idea what, what it was. I didn't know what a 5K was, but I was I mean, I I did field events and track and that's what we were doing because I was black. Um, and so I knew that she ran and did biking and aerobics and all this stuff. And so I was just like, sure, whatever you do, I do. Because I basically lived with her um, because she was closer, her work. she I would stay with her sometimes during the weekday because it, her office was closer to my job. And so my mom has always been late, like late, late, late. Like my graduation, I looked up and I called and said, you're late. Once again, I saw them being late to my graduation. And so um, I'm very punctual, clearly. And um, I was like 16. I said, mom, I'm going to stay with Debbie because she would get me to class on time. And then I was starting to become a vegetarian and Debbie was a vegetarian. So I was like, I'm good. I'll see you on the weekends. And so that's really what would happen. I mean, that's that's what it was. Um, and Debbie it would run as well as her brother would. Um, I, even till this day, her brother runs Cowtown every year. And so, of course, now I've got my group doing Cowtown every year too um, as well. But that was my first kind of eye-opening to it. And then I really got into it um, – when I decided, I just do random things, but I decided to do a duathlon. I didn't complete it because I didn't have all the the training and knowledge. And so I don't take failure very well. And so instead of doing it again, I decided I'm going all the way and doing the triathlon. So I learned how to swim. And then five months later, I did my first try, which turned into five more after that, which in between the time I did my first uh, half, because I found friends in that community. Um, and then they were also runners. And then I got signed up and did a half with them. And then was like, oh, well, this isn't so bad. Let me see, continue <laughs> on. <And laughs> that's kind of the start of it. Um, and then I got into training and started learning more about it, um, especially just being around. But I, I started finding that there wasn't a lot of black runners until I left the state of Texas and went to Virginia and I mm -hmm. ran Richmond. And that was my first time really traveling. That was my first race outside of the state. I didn't know that people traveled for races. Like that was it. Like my parents were like, you're traveling for a race. And I would have to kind of tell them, well, actually we have a banquet, the hall of fame that I'm helping out. And yes, it's, it's a lot of black runners, but I would, focus on the hall of fame that we were having in this meeting um and, and nonprofit instead of the running aspect because it's still they still didn't understand why i was wasting quote-unquote money um on bikes and shoes and swimming and all that stuff i mean they supported me you know but really they sought out me because i still had student loans so mm -hmm. it was a waste of money um, yeah. But once I went to Virginia, um, I saw my friend Kurt, I saw my friend Monisha, I saw and I met friends to this day, like literally messaging them, Kelly, um, all, we all run, well, Kurt has 
officially retired, but he still goes to the races um, and he certifies, takes pictures for us now. And from that moment, not only going to the to the airport, meeting other black runners and then seeing like this is a thing. I never forget seeing this girl have her. She had a foam roller on this backpack. She had her carry on. She had her world major jacket and she looked like a runner. And I was like, that's what I want to be in <laughs> kind of when I grow up. Like, I want to be able to go to these races and have my race jacket on. And she had, I mean, to the T. And I had so much fun in Richmond. It was so lovely. Um, the scenery, like I've I've been to places, but when you run, it's totally different when you run a city than when you drive it. It's just, you see so much, you feel it. It's a different experience. And so that I wanted to feel and make sure that every other Black runner felt safe, felt that way whenever they ran in any way that I could. So I helped them get certified. I helped raise money for scholarship for uh, minority cross-country uh, students. I did whatever I could and still do to this day to just remove those barriers that we have because oftentimes we didn't speak about it until we got together. Yeah, it's interesting to bring up this idea of if you don't have an example to look to in a given area that looks like you, then you don't aspire to do that or you're afraid to or, mm-hmm. you know, it's something you think that isn't maybe for you, you know, you don't have access to it, which is, which is true across the board, but must especially be true in this context. Can you remember the first time you experienced, we'll just call it racism Mm -hmm. as a kid growing up when you first realized, all right, I'm, I don't look like everybody else. So they treat me differently. Um, I experienced a lot of it when I was in high school and I, I kind of have this, uh, what I call a, you know, you put on these faces or masks and we code switch is the, the way that we say it, you know, very much so code switch. So there's uh, frankly white Alex and then there's black Alex <laughs> right now. They're, they're not as separate, but back then it was like, once I got out the car, it was like, okay, this is the way that I had to be. Um, I had to wear my hair a certain way. Um, And I wasn't used to that. I went from an all black private school um, that was five minutes away from my house to now at that time, it was like a 30, 45 minute drive to go to school, uh, to go to ESD. And so, um, you know, it was a completely different environment uh, for me. It was subtle things where, I didn't realize why we always be put in the back of the classroom. And so eventually by your two hour request and just claim, well, I can't concentrate or, you know, say something about learning disability or whatever. I will come up with a way to make sure that I sat in the front of the room because my whole full first year, I was basically in the back of the classroom. Um, I made D's. I was in, I, I was, all a student before this. Um, and so it was emotionally such a change 
for me to have the the things that I didn't have a car. And so I was never asked or invited into parties. Um, I didn't know what our Abercrombie and Finch was. I didn't know any of this stuff. And so those things, and, and let alone had the money for it. Um, you know, they just thought, oh, she's just here. She's dumb and she's here for a sport. But actually, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have an actual sport. I wasn't, I just did whatever. I was athletic, but I didn't have like, oh, I'm very good at basketball, like the other black players. There were several there that they were the star student for basketball um, or the star student for track or the star student for football. That didn't happen with me. So it was very evident, like I'm actually here for it because I was smart, <laughs> which mm-hmm. didn't make sense. Um, the most that I got on it and it slapped me in my face was when I went to, uh, when I got chosen to go to debate camp. Yes, that is a thing. Yes, I was <laughs> chosen. Um, and I went to Stanford University. Uh, yeah, debate camp, Stanford University, me, Black. Um, and I remember a lot of students being very upset about that. I didn't, I didn't understand it until I left and then I experienced so much racism at the debate camp that I remember crying my first day, just like, I want to go back home. But Stanford University was so beautiful. Um, again, I that also I love clearly traveling. Um, and I found my little niche out there. So I would, I would wake up early to avoid breakfast with everyone because um, they would move away from me at the tables. Um, and then they would snicker or bicker or talk about my shorts or my butt or anything like that, just because, again, curvy. Um, and so I would just wake up and I would actually study at Jamba Juice. Um, they're everywhere now, but they were <laughs> only there then. And I would study, I would read the New York Times magazines, uh, paper, and USA Today. And then I would do all that just to have a leg up on everybody else that didn't know about the news to that day. And based on that, then the teachers kind of realized I was actually really smart and articulate. And so they really drilled in on me about saying um so much. And so some of the kids would make fun of that because that was something that I should have known. So... I ended up getting, I didn't get invited to the parties. I didn't, people would move away from me. So I just start hanging out with the professors. And that was when I realized uh, it was only because I was black. Once, of course, at the end of the debate, I found a really cool, another black girl. And we became besties and pen pals and everything because she saw, um, she was in one track and I was in a different track. And so she saw that I was experiencing the same thing. So we did all the stuff together. We hung out and found some college people to hang out with. Mm. Uh, We found uh, in our professor's time. And so that helped me find my my purpose of being there and, and, and push through. So when I came back, I had a sense of, okay, I belong here. I'm smart. Um, you know, my mom definitely, she's always been my biggest cheerleader and that helped out a lot. But when I went back to school, it was like, I was very different because I had this experience 
that a lot of students felt that I shouldn't have had. I shouldn't have had the school sending me to debate camp, you know, at Stanford. That they, they, that was a waste of money. So mm-hmm. I wasn't chosen to be varsity um, on purpose because of that. Uh, it was a lot of things that happened behind the end. So it just kept accumulating. But anytime that I had issues, I had, you know, a professor or two that had my back or would help me. So um, even some of my friends, like I couldn't afford lunch. And I remember one of my friends, we had these punch cards and one of the girls just start, we just started making punch cards. Probably shouldn't say this. Um, (laughs) We would make punch cards. And so that's how we would have free lunch (laughs) was they, you know, it was paper laminated. We got the right colors for the right, you know, month or whatever. And so that's how I was able to get basically a full year without having to pay for lunch. Um, it became a business for them. But for me, it was like I would literally buy lunch and then take it home. And so it was interesting to know and see even with that, it was like, oh, you do that because you're poor. But then other people who could really, who could use it, who had money, they would end up buying it from her because she would sell them. So it was it was like, oh, you're you're that rate that second class citizen because I had the the fraud one, but someone else would do it because it was cool and hip. It was just like we're doing the same thing. We both have the fake, you know, punch card, but you see it one way, and I, because of my skin color, I'm seeing another way. Luckily, I didn't get caught. The other people did. I'm good, uh, so I don't think I should get caught to this day. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of. Some of those in school. Yeah, I was 16. Mm. So you mentioned also this idea of maybe feeling like you didn't have a place in either community. It's like you were discriminated against at school because of the color of your skin. But then I'm sure others in your own community in Oak Cliff were looking at you like, well, you're not us anymore. Yeah. How did did that play out? I think a lot of it. It's kind of the... (laughs) the stereotypical movie that we've seen, you know, like Blindside or, you know, they, they always have that whole story. Oh, this person from the hood who doesn't have a father and, you know, come and, you know, they have that whole play. Well, I mean, to some degree, you know, I've always kind of been that black sheep of the family. Um, but now it's, I just had my own path in my own way. Yeah, you know, I I also have the personality that at a point in time, I really don't care what other people say, like it'll affect me, but to what degree is how I allow it to be. And I've also been very stubborn. So, you know, to some of that, that was very helpful. Like I did whatever I wanted to do. If I wanted to try something, my mom supported me. And even when she didn't, I still did it anyway. Because um, once my mind is made up, that was it. So the same things would happen even in my family. Like I went to that school and it was unheard of. Like that was unheard of by anybody in that neighborhood. Um, You know, I got picked on, made fun of for, for it. But at the end of the day, I eventually, when I got to college, I looked back and although I hated that school, um, I went to college and I was bored my first semester. 
And it's not anything about Texas Tech education because they're phenomenal. It's just that I was so overprepared that from that high school that that's why my mom put me there and that's why she wanted me in those places. I could understand that and I appreciated it. So even in college, um, even though you know I wasn't black enough or whatnot, I found the people who appreciated it and I consistently was reminded about that. But for me, a lot of it eventually wore off of not being black enough, you know, not being, you know, I'm not white and not being black. It's just kind of, it, it would eventually just rub off. Cause I remember this is just kind of how I've always been. I've always been that hybrid and connector. So it's nothing I either accepted or I just choose to do something different. It didn't stop you. Yeah, no, I'm still Both- doing <laughs> both, both, both my parents are Red Raiders, by the way, and my brother, oh, and and brother and brother-in-law. So I've got all kinds of people getting their guns up in my. Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> even though, even though I'm a rice owl and a longhorn by grad by uh, grad school, so we have we have our we have our debates over uh, sporting events. I'll see well, you doing, you know, in <laughs> November is typically UT Texas Tech. Right. Right. I'll my head at the game. Yes. <laughs> you have permission to talk all the trash. So so let's let's take that forward then to once you started running and getting involved in triathlon endurance sports. How did you start to see the racial profiling manifest there? Um starting off, I, I think the tri world, they were at the time more accepting because it was smaller and you know, back then it was like, these people are really crazy. Uh, I mean, it's still like that, but you know, we're talking 2009 is nine, 10 is when I um, was doing tries. And so back then it was a really small knit community, uh, much smaller than what it is now. And and everyone was really happy and supportive. Like my parents and family would lo- actually like to come out um, just because they could basically have a picnic and they were loud. Uh, and it was like a family function for them now to come to the event. Mm. So it's like two hours, two, three hours. They're just sitting there. So they got my, my folks also are big on having a cooler at every single thing. They got snacks. And so it, it became an event. And likewise, that, you know, when you have the snacks and you're the family that always has the good Costco snacks, <laughs> come friends with them and you look forward to them at every try. Um, but that I, I had more. I take a step back when I was in college. I had the. I like and I enjoy taking long walks <laughs> sounds at the park, but, uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon in college where we could walk at night, you know, at 2 a.m. from the library or, you know, after midnight. That was kind of normal or acceptable, um, you know, in, in, in terms of things. And I'll never forget one of the times when I had people throw beer cans and stuff at me and call me names um, as I was just taking a leisure stroll just to clear my head that night um, at tech. And it wasn't, I thought I should call the cops and I should do this and there's gotta be a way. And I thought about all the different things. Of course, I'm scared, I'm running, um, you know, try to get back to more visible light. But then I realized I'm like, I'm 
right here in the light. <laughs> I'm on the sidewalk across from where I was, you know, the dorms. There's the police part was just two, two blocks away, if that, um, well, two buildings away. And so I thought, and I was like, there's nothing that's going to be done. You know, I just thought, well, at least I'm alive right now. And so it, it made it to where I didn't come out and have an evening stroll by myself, let alone with anyone else. Um, and even when I would work at the library late, I had 10 to 2 a.m. shift. Um, I made sure to stay at the dorms that were right across the street as a result. Um, even to this day when I run, I am very overly aware about every single car, especially trucks that pass by um, when I run at night, even in the early mornings, because not just that situation, but anything can happen. Um, I could be snatched just because I'm a woman. I can be hit because they want to swerve by accident, quote unquote, um, or even shot. Uh, taken as a robber. And so a lot of these things have to do, excuse me, with either my gender or just color of the skin every single time that I run. It's in the back of my head or it'll pop up uh, when I see a truck, even to this day. Mm. Yeah. I think I said on our Facebook exchange inside the road group, last week that I can count on literally two fingers the number of times I've ever thought about my safety on a run as a white man. Mm -hmm. Two times. One time I think was really my own issue of perception. The second time I think I probably was in real danger. I got into a place in a foreign country that I shouldn't have been. But twice. And yet you and a lot of women as well as people of color have to think about it every single time they set out to, to go. I mean, for me, it's literally never a consideration. It's doesn't matter what time it is. Doesn't matter where I am. Doesn't matter what the conditions are um, or where I am. It's, it's, I'm, I'm going to go out and run. It's just the, the next thing on my list to do. I'm going to get it done. But when you're prepping for a run, you've got all these variables to think about. So what goes through your mind before you go out the door, just so that you can try to feel as safe as possible? Uh, First, uh, Garmin has his kind of going in running safety. I mean, this is not just for me as a black runner, but all a lot of these should apply to anybody just from safety period. Uh, I have, um, they call me the Garmin queen for this. I find out everything for a reason, but Mm. they have the connect, um, on the Connect app, they have where it actually sends out the beacon um, that's connected with Strava and Garmin. And so I have my emergency profiles. You have three there. And so typically what will happen, one goes to my dad, um, one goes to the other coach, Alex, and then it'll go to a third person that's local with me if I'm in a race or a coach or something like that. I have a designated person. And then I have people that are on email. And then I also ensure that it's working every time Um, because sometimes apps need to be updated. So I want to make sure that each time I go out um, that I can be tracked and then I have the feature on. So that way, because I love law and uh, law and order SVU. And so 
in case something should happen to me, I'm kind of giving it away, but in case something happened to me, I make sure that I have the seed for 24 hours afterwards. Because if I'm snatched or something happens and they get my phone, at least I know that they can see that whole route and where I was for 24 hours. So my friends know y'all got 48 hours to get me for real, but 24 on the Garmin. That is my first check before I do anything. It doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m., 3 p.m., 6 p.m., whatever. I make sure that that happens from a safety-wise. And then I go through what am I going to wear. And lately, it's been more running. Like I make sure that I look like I am a runner-runner. And it sounds crazy because most people on the podcast are um, probably you know, runner, hard runners, but there's a, again, that code switch when people see when there's something about when you see someone who's walking versus a person who is like a walker, there's a clear difference. Like they like walkers, like on the Olympics, they are really moving. Like you see it is with effort. It's the same thing when you see a person who's like a real runner and it's hard to describe, but Oftentimes I'll have, I'll make sure like I have a cap that has a a cap or visor that specifically has a race, um, marathon or the word run something. I mean, even a tank Brooks has a tank that has runner literally Mm -hmm. have a tank to show that I'm a runner. Um, it is, it's one of those things that, you know, race shirts, whatever it is that I can, um, to indicate from my handheld, the running vest. Uh, those are things that we, it's normal to us, but to the outside world or to police officers, there's a clear difference when I have those things on and when I don't. I look like I have a purpose. I look like I have running attire and gear and I seem less of a threat. Versus if I'm just out here leisurely strolling, I can wear all black as a runner, but I wouldn't wear black, all black with a hoodie or anything like that um, outside just walking. I have, I, I actually don't do that. I have gray, I actually do gray hoodies as a means or loud colors to kind of offset that stereotype of possibly being a thug or whatever it is. And it sounds crazy, but the sound the same thought process is with a lot of women or given to women as, oh, you shouldn't wear, you know, you should cover up more when you run or don't wear these tights, they're too shorts, or you're, you know, how that whole narrative is given. So Oftentimes, you know, it's hot outside. I mean, we're both in Texas. It's so <laughs> at this point, you know, I don't care if you yeah. saw flab or whatever, I have to get it in. But, you know, it, it, I will wear actually the hydration vest in order to show I'm running, don't bother me, and running with purpose. Um, that goes through my mind most every single run. Especially in, and then when I get to a place, if I'm driving, having to drive out, um, I make sure that I introduce myself or I try to acknowledge I'm here with the running group because that's also another thing that they just think I'm some random black person that's coming up there, um, even even within our own group when I started. Hmm. So 
that's something, you know, I, I try to make aware, like who else would be up here at 4am in running gear, like <laughs> that, that baffles. But again, they're not used to seeing other black runners, let alone other black runners running at 4am. Um, and so I'm this girl that they didn't know about. And now it's a little bit different. You know, I've been in the group for a while or we're, we're all kind of getting accustomed to things. But even, even that, when I started, um, you know, I had that issue when it happened. Um, and so those are some things that I have to think about. And I, I'm not the only one. This story isn't something that's just isolated to me. Most of the Black runners that I've had even reach out to me in, in my post um, personally have said, when I join a group, a run group, I'm always isolated or I have a hard time talking to someone and I, you know, it's like I'm just by myself. And it takes months or weeks for someone to finally open up and see like, I know about running or to help me like they would a fellow white runner. Tons and tons of people. Hmm. Have you had specific instances or examples where, you know, that was just plain, that that discrimination was just right in your face? Obviously, it's subtle all the time. It's always around you. But what's an example of just in your face? Um... I think I can't remember one. This is part of the reason why I don't do 5Ks. But it was one 5K that I did a couple of years when I started off running. And it was like the lady did not believe that we were running the race. We had bibs on. We were there with our shirts and you know everything. And it was like, no, she really thought we had, I guess, had fake bibs, which clearly is a thing now um that people do it but back then i was like who who got time like that was i never heard of that um to to do a fake bib and we're looking at other people without bibs pass by and then i look and i'm like oh i see why i'm going through this and i just have to de-escalate myself mentally and then like okay you can argue this woman clearly has a power trip right now. She wants to feel entitled or whatever. You know this case. You can either chill out, let her do whatever, or find, go in another way, or you can, you know, keep pressing this and then you're late for the race. You know, so I just went into another wave and that that solved it. It bothered me. It still bothers me. Um, because those type of things happen um, often. Um, but that was a 5K, which it sounds bad. But one thing you will know, it's very hard for me to go to 5Ks to this day because I'm like, it's 30 minutes of working out. This is just, it's $80. Can we do a half? <laughs> like, <laughs> let me get a workout. <laughs> this is not enough to burn off a beer, which also lets you know, who does not like short distances or <laughs> training is me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but that that happened uh, uh, years ago. And <laughs> I'm not going to say that's why the real reason why I don't do 5Ks, but that left the, the taste in my mouth. I was like, 
every 5K must be doing this because half marathons, you definitely don't do it. Um, but uh, yeah, it that was blatant in my face was that. And then, of course, I've had the... Um, <laughs> the the ones where I wore my black marathon black marathoner shirt or a pair or anything about black runner is always the the tea because then it is a oh so are you are you a marathoner and I'm like yeah so you <laughs> ran marathons do you know what a marathon is and then I'm like do you know what a marathon is? <laughs> And they're like, oh, well, you know, my friend, by the time we're going back and forth, I'm like 26.2 miles. Oh, so you've, you've ran one? I was like, no. They're like, oh, so why are you sure? I was like, because I've ran several. That's now my <laughs> snarky response back. Nice. Now that I... <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and, and it's really funny because they're like, oh, well, you know, I've never ran a marathon. And I was like, oh. You must, you, you do 5Ks, right? Yeah, you know, I've, I've wanted to. I was like, mm-hmm. And it goes back to, this is why I don't like 5Ks. <laughs> but I get that a lot. And I mean, I get it a lot. I, I, every time I've traveled or anything with my Black Marathoners gear or Black Runners or uh, even with just anything with, race in the sport or whatever it is I get that and it's like they question you as if it is this you know I'm a I'm a unicorn you know like what you you ran it and I'm like yep and the other people right here next to me are running it you know or just ran it so um you know, I, I think Chicago was funny. I was with uh, a friend and he and I were at the Chicago airport. And so we were trying to find our names, you know, in, in the newspaper. We finished it. We have running gear on. We have our Chicago gear on. I, I'm trashing about, you know, talking about whatever mess and stuff. We're trying to find the newspaper. And these people are literally asking and we're they're looking at us crazy because we're walking pretty normal. And one lady, she just stopped. She was like, "Did y'all run the race?" And we both look like we look at each other. Me and his name is Lincoln, and we both look at each other. And then we look back at her because we both have our jackets, our shirts, <laughs> and our medals right in front of us. We almost look like twins at this point. And she claimed that the reason why she was asking she was because we were walking normal. And so everybody had been in there, you know, they're shuffling around and stuff like that. And so we're like, oh, you know, if you just train or, you know, he, he's like a beast at that. But, you know, he's like, well, you know, if you stay ready, you know, it's a, it's an everyday thing. And I'm like, well, you know, just train for him. You're good. And I'm just walking by and I'm all happy because I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, training this time I'm with Rose. So. I'm not shuffling the following day afterwards. I'm feeling good about it. We're going to keep them around. And when I was flying back, it hit me because it was asked twice. And I didn't catch it the first time, but it was very, it started, it was like you didn't see that with the other white runners who were walking past us. There were other marathoners there because, you know, it's Marathon Monday. So we all have our shirts on. They didn't ask that. And they were walking just about as normal as can be and it hits it's almost as if we were we just 
I guess, stole the stuff and had it, had the right. metal and that. And I mean, I've seen, you know, people with running gear and they've never, you know, ran it or whatnot. You know, it, it's not a big deal. But I was like, man, that was a moment. I didn't realize until later on on the flight home was like, because we were black runners. Right. Wasn't you, really. You couldn't like, have possibly <laughs> done it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll let her get by because we, we literally were moonwalking and, you know, it didn't look like we had ran a marathon the next, the day before. But, um, you know, it, it, I could understand that. But I was like, nah, my gut is telling me that's that once I put it together and thought, I was like, I didn't pick that up at that time. Um, but, yeah, so they happen like that. And it's just, we just got to on. Is I'm there not- a special not special in a good way, but just a, a specific version of this associated with black men. Like, do they face it differently or is it the same thing? Just maybe amped up a little bit because of this idea that they could be a threat at all times. Yeah. I, um, for black men in particular, they have, they have, well, it, it depends on what way. And the safety-wise, just running, yes. Um, you know, especially if you're six foot or look tall, you're, you know, you're black and running. That's the general gist is something's wrong. Um, and to be running distance especially is crazy at that. Um, so yeah, we have, th- that's why this whole narrative, this whole, you know, um, belief and well, why is this black man running in the middle of the day? And he, you know, was looking at a house. Have you ever stopped and just thought like, every time I do a long run, I'm looking at the houses. What else do we have to look at? Like when we're running, we're always looking at a house or we're looking for a place to, place to pee. And guys, by far, you can cop a squad or do whatever anyway, anywhere, at any point in time. You have that privilege. So no one thought as a runner that might been a guy just going to go pee really quickly and come back. That he wasn't given that right or that thought. Um, most black men aren't. Most black men, they, and that's why black men run is is a, a phenomenal group in here and does so much work and they run together in order to not just encourage other black runners to run distances, uh, but also to help and support and be that second accountability to know, hey, these are places where we can run together. If anything happens, this is what we can do. Um, That's what that organization does. Um, And and they, they do have meetups and they hang out together and do so much around the entire country. So they, they probably have that that premise a lot more than black women. I think in terms of things, us running is a little bit more acceptable. Um, But we have the other side of things as being a woman runner um, in in our own era uh, safety. You know, black women are being snatched left and right. um, And when actually even, I don't know if people can see me, but you know, if you see me on any day running, a bad day, I literally look like I'm 16. So, you know, they're thinking they're getting a kid and I'm like, I'm a full grown adult, but 
I have that other issue. So it's like you you trade one the the black man stereotype and their issues, and then you get a whole nother set as a black woman. Um, and so it, I mean, you kind of you got two sides of the same thing. We both just deal with right. it differently. Yeah. I think one thing that's important to note here is that I think a lot of people assume, well, this case, this case happened in Georgia, a classic Southern state that, you know, those outside might look and say, well, that's just a racist place. That's why it happened there. But it happens everywhere. And, you know, I can personally tell a story of a friend here that I run with frequently. He's Mexican born and and I've heard him talk about somebody say, well, that doesn't happen in Austin. And to, his response is, no, I've, I've been in the back of a cop car mm-hmm. five times for what he calls running while Mexican because of the color of his skin. And they presumed he was a suspect in some crime and questioned him, putting him in handcuffs, put him in the back of a car. I've also personally seen him profiled on a run where we were together, he stopped to tie his shoes. And so it was back a little bit. We were doing a workout. We kind of got separated. I run by a cop car that I didn't actually even notice because it was just off to the side. He runs by about a minute later past that same cop car. And we're going fast because we're doing a fart lick. And the cop pulls him over while running and starts questioning him and asking him what he's doing and so forth and basically won't let him go until he realizes and I realized what happened until he realizes he was running with me and then it was okay. And then he stopped harassing him. And you know, that's something I've seen with my own two eyes within the last two years. Yeah. So it it happens everywhere of this assumption of people of, of color. If they're running, they're running from something. They did something. And therefore there is some, unwritten rules that they can be profiled her or harassed or in the case of Ahmad chased with weapons. Right. Which is, you know, it's something I've just never experienced personally, but obviously happens and it's not happening in isolated ways. It's happening all the time. Maybe not to the extent of getting somebody killed every time. Mm-hmm but still situation where you have to be concerned about your own safety all the time, every time you go out. And I don't even know how to wrap my head around it. It just makes me really sad. Yeah. Um, what you, you experienced and I'm glad that you were able to be there. Um, and to almost to stop this situation or de-escalate it. Um, that situation happened. It's happened here. It's happened with several of our coaches, um, you know, personal friends of mine, other fellow people. Uh, for me, I haven't been in the back of the cop car in that capacity. Mine has always came in the the cops linger and then they'll ask questions um, and and keep tracking me as if they're just monitoring to see what am I really running, um, what areas I'm going to, uh, especially when I stop. So there, th- this isn't, you know, these things aren't new. If you look and read history, this is the same things that happened to slaves. 
Um, this is the same thing that happened in the Jim Crow era. This is the same thing that happened in the 80s. This is similar to stop and frisk. Instead, I've just said it's basically run and frisk. Um, you know, they 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 have that. Um, and it's not just police. It's even people who call police or linger around and and are questioning you. Um, a friend, dear friend, who who really pulled me into running. Um, she posted last week, and I, I didn't see it until today. I remember the situation where um, I talked about my friend Kurt and Monisha, and both have had uh, issues that they publicly talked about. Um, Kurt actually will not run or walk without a shirt. He's a black male and will not run or walk or leave the house in any activity without having one of his marathon or race shirt on because that lets him know, oh, marathon, run. And so that's what he's done for years. Uh, Monisha, on the other hand, was living at, had been living at her condo for, you know, a while and, was coming back from a jog or, you know, sat down to stretch, tire shoes or whatever. And basically they thought that she didn't live there. And so it was security, cops, whatever. In this situation, someone had to come up and say, she lives here because they weren't believing. Um, and she was just in shock and had her phone. At, she admitted that she, that was two years ago and she hadn't ran since. Monisha really is the re one of partial reasons why I'm even, I have a running certification. Um, she's helped me through running, uh, been a mentor, a big sis. Um, she's brought, she's started so many running groups within the community here in Dallas um, from couch to 5k with, and done work within the Southern sector, which is predominantly black for her to get, after all of that in her own community, her own place that she had been living, the neighbor, because she was Black, this person believed that she shouldn't have been there. They hadn't had a rash of raw, you know, break-ins or anything like that. They just saw a Black girl come in and assumed it worse. And she was just coming from, she was just running. Mm. Um, life you know, flash before our eyes. And from that point, she said she hadn't ran for two years. It's it's really disappointing as someone who has been making a difference in the community to increase people to walk and be active here in Dallas and in her own neighborhood, the place that she pays her rent, the place that she goes to and in and out every day. And she about at this time know that she's a runner, but couldn't even, I mean, that that's just she's been running longer than me. So it's just crazy. And so that has hindered her as strong as she is in some ways to not run. Now, granted, she's been exercising other ways and, you know, we all take a hiatus and stuff, but I understood that because since the news broke the week before, I actually took the longest hiatus from running because I was afraid and I had so much emotionally stored in my mind that I, I didn't know if I if I should go out and run or I should just stay in bike. What well, it was a lot. So we're still going through that. This isn't it's this it's same things but just a different day. Yeah, and it's 
and it's real. And I, and people say, or people want to say, I got in a Facebook argument, which never is a good idea, but yeah. <laughs> I did that on, I think it was Saturday or Sunday with somebody who, about this case, about the Ahmad Arbery case, he said, well, how do we know this was racism? Maybe these guys just made a mistake. And, and I got upset at that because the thing here that we need to recognize, and that's why it's important to talk about it, is that racism isn't necessarily the explicit version of it that we all think we know. It's the implicit things that cause people, whether they know it or not, to make assumptions, to form biases, to assume you couldn't run the marathon because you look a certain way, mm-hmm. to to not give someone the benefit of the doubt because of the way they look and place that benefit of the doubt on somebody else because Mm -hmm. of the way they look. And that's exactly what's happening in this case, implicit or explicit. It doesn't really matter. It's all the same thing. They saw a black man running through the neighborhood, assumed he must be someone who did something wrong. And then they therefore had some ability to take justice in their own hands and that ultimately ended up in a man dead and people on the other side questioning the guy who's dead and not questioning the two men that carried weapons into the situation and that's racism Mm -hmm. period and so how do we dismantle that because people ask these or you know the thing i see people say on my side the white side of the story they'll say well, he was in that house. He went into that construction site. So that's why they chased him. Or he has a prior record. So he deserved some sort of suspicion. Or he wasn't wearing the right shoes, apparently has come up. Oh, and, <laughs> and, that, but I'm not surprised. Well, apparently he wasn't wearing running shoes. So that means he must have been running from something else and not just going out for a jog. Well, he grabbed the shotgun. So he deserved to be shot. And those are all the benefit of the questions that that don't give him the benefit of the doubt that say basically he deserved to die because of all these other things. And no one deserves to die. And these two white guys got the benefit of the doubt for two months. And no one was asking them questions. Why did they grab two weapons, chase him in a truck? Continue to chase him yeah, even after stop when the police, you know, you call 911, they always tell you to disengage. Right. Um, and they kept chasing him, even though he was trying to avoid them. And he's the one that ends up dying. And suddenly it's his fault. So that's racism. The fact that he doesn't get the, the dead man, the unarmed dead man doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because that's the other thing. Well, he must have been armed. Well, that's, I mean, that's silly. <laughs> so, so anyway, so it's, it's frustrating, but that's, that's racism, pure and simple. And, and it's embedded in all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard, uncomfortable part. It's embedded in all of us in ways that we can't know until we start to have these conversations and then unearth these things. I think about, you know, me growing up in the Dallas area and I was telling you this story earlier. I mean, it. I wasn't 
taught explicitly to look at black people differently, but it was all around me. I was bussed into a black neighborhood in middle school, in elementary school, late elementary school and middle school for the purposes of going to a quote unquote magnet school because I had earned that spot as a smart white kid. Mm -hmm. But ultimately that was really just some administrator's way to force integration. Once I stepped foot on that school, there were white classes and there were black classes. We were all in the same building, Mm -hmm. but those other quote unquote neighborhood kids didn't have the same opportunities that I had that's racism. It was all around me. When I went to, when I went to high school, South Carolina high school there in Dallas area, the Confederate flag was our school flag Yeah. (laughs) until I was a, until I was a junior in high school. And even after that, it got changed and everybody was so mad about it. And they would still bring those things to the football games because, you know, this was dumb that we got it taken away. Yeah. So again, all around me, and, you know, to this day, I have well-meaning family members who, you know, it's all good and fine until they're confronted with a situation. You know, my, my brother dated a, a Mexican girl, a brown girl in high school, and that wasn't okay in my family. It wasn't explicitly not okay, but the things that they would say behind somebody's back and all of that would were, you know, wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up surrounded by all of that. And, you know, it'd be nice to say, well, I've, you know, I haven't let that affect me. And yeah, I like to think that I don't think about the world in those terms. And, but at the same time, there are biases there. The fact that I didn't even realize until a few years ago this privilege of running without having to think about my own safety mm-hmm. is a form of that being embedded in my psyche that is a form of racism. Mm-hmm. So that's why this conversation is important to have because to me, the overt stuff, that's horrible and terrible, but I think most people can look at it and say, oh, that's racism. But it's this subversive, this subconscious these subtle assumptions and biases that don't see the light of day that's the real scary stuff all right because it is so pervasive so agree completely you preaching over there (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm trying alex i am trying hard and that's all you can really do right right i mean this is like i said i i'm honored and, and glad um, one, I, I could probably say I first was like, wait, Chris, like who's over rogue is posting this, excuse me. And then to, you know, take from that from last week to now having a podcast. I mean, this is what it looks like and is evident to be an ally. It, it looks like, Hey, I want to do, I don't know where to start. So one, let's have a discussion and help me understand um, I know it's wrong and, you know, you, you know, admitting, Hey, I've, I've had my own, my own issues and been a part of it, but you can choose not to, you know, do the same things, uh, once you have the knowledge. So 
my my deal is just to commend you of us just coming out here and having a candid conversation, letting me share stories of myself and other runners because I I didn't I think that was probably the most bolded that I've been like, hey, this is really what it's like as not just a black runner, um, you know, run leader, coach, uh, run influencer, you know, um, even in this community and being able to work with so many marathons and organizations throughout the last decade. Um, it's there. And the first thing I think, I, you know, I told a story of, you know, training at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. in the in the group, it came like, who is this black girl? It, that should that's one of the big things when a, a, a black person or in particular comes to a running club, they always have this issue of feeling um, outside and standoffish. And so even me as a pace leader in our group, even I was having issues with that. And I'll never forget um, Lamar who coaches uh, in, in Dallas, in our Dallas area. He is like the, uh, call him kind of like the hospitality of <laughs> of when I get there because he's always introducing me to people. Hey, Alex, have you met such and so? And da 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 da. And he'll, hey, Alex, hey, Alex. And Lamar is also black too. And he's been coaching for, you know, that's like my big brother for real. I've seen his kids grow up. Wife is amazing and gorgeous and just their family. Um, and so, he does that in part also to bring me out and to make sure that other people know like, hey, these are people who are running with us and are part of Rogue family. There should not be, that feeling should happen with every single runner, but even in our own running community, they can say hi to all the other runners when we're, you know, running group together. But when it comes to me or if I'm by myself, it's not the same way. It's not there. It's an ignore. It is a, Oh, we're talking just so happen. We're going to say hi, good morning to everyone else. But when we pass your, you and, and with maybe the other black group or the other black girls that are running too, we're not going to speak to them. It's those things that, you talked, you know, it's kind of this threshold that racism is racism, but you don't realize why Why do I have to have on the rogue training shirt for you as a fellow runner just to say good morning? We, we are so used to saying good morning and hi and car back and car front <laughs> every single room. You know, we're used to this. This is nothing new. It should be the same across the board because at the end of the day, we're all out here at 5 a.m. And I don't care who you are, even if you're not running with us at 5 a.m., I'm going to say hi to you. One, safety, but then also good morning. I mean, it's not it's not going to hurt you. And we're all out here for whatever. And it is the same reason why everyone else is sleeping. So it's it's that small thing that. You know, I'm not saying, oh, you have to say good morning. You know, people come out, I don't like saying good morning. I'm tired. You're missing the point of this. But it's those things that I have noticed, not just with Brogue, um, but this is with every running group that I have seen or been with. And if it's not me personally, it is a predominantly most of minorities have had this situation happen. And that is a huge barrier, you know, not only 
do we have the issues of our neighborhoods, um, things just getting out the door, safety. But then you finally get over all of that. You join a group and you're here to learn more about the running community that's loving and supportive and all this. And now you have this barrier. It's, it blows my mind. Like it takes so much just to, I mean, frankly, I'm struggling right now to get out the door on Saturday mornings by 9 a.m. to run. I'm the person a year ago, I'm looking at Facebook memories. This was when I was training at 4 a.m. <laughs> like I'm starting to run at 4.30 and I'm like, who is that person? Um, you know, that's our, that was our normal and I'm struggling now. I'm thinking about all the new people who will be joining our group and who now, because of the Rona that's happened, you know, are starting to become walking and running. And now they might think about some of these races that are come back and, and doing these marathons whenever they return. Well, they got to train and join groups. Well, I wouldn't want to join a group if people are, you know, not welcoming and open and, and kind of shove me to the side because not just because I'm a newbie, but because I look like I don't belong. Um, right. That shouldn't be a place at any point in time that we should do. We should be that way. And then also the other thing, kind of jumping the gun and going to solutions. But our our marketing and our the things that races and organizations put out as runners, from magazines to even the ads. They need to start reflecting truly who is crossing the finish line. Um, one of the things that I do, I have my own photo shoots and I have my own outfits and do that a lot because I'm a Brooks uh, Run Happy ambassador. And so uh, they, they kind of let me do whatever because, again, I just do whatever I want. <laughs> but a big part of that is to take um, Brooks is not very flashy like Nike. We can all, you know, agree of that, but I take what they have and add my own ump to it. And then my own style and show and reflect things that I know runners like me need to see. Most people do not see women, um, of color running and have shorts on. They're normally covered up. They normally, you know, try to have them in long pants or anything. They try to hide their stomachs. Um, they don't realize like most of the runners who are coming to us have boobs. It's okay. Like not everybody is super fast and that shouldn't be just your ad. That goes into that part of inclusivity. And when you think about that, that affects how, you know, um, you know, you want to have runners to join us. Well, the Instagram should show that. It should show that runners are different colors, shapes, sizes, because if you look at the finish lines, that's what's actually coming through. I see that anytime when I was running, one of a question, sorry, sidetrack, but one of the questions was when uh, recently I was asked, when's the when's the one time that you felt safe running? And it took a minute. And I said, there's two times. One, um, well, there's three. One, when I'm on a treadmill, if you want to call that safe, because I'm accident prone. So it's no telling <laughs> if I might fall off. And then two, 
um, you know, when I'm with my actual group group, I feel pretty safe. That's a 50-50 and more so because we have a couple of ex-military folks and then we also have two doctors. So I feel like I'm covering the this, <laughs> the thing if I fall or have a heart attack versus if I need, you know, somebody to hold off on the, the police or something like that. So I'm pretty safe on that. Truly the one time in the longest that I felt completely safe was when I ran Marine Corps last year, which is kind of an oxymoron because we were running in all the, it was basically a tsunami of rain. So oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I finished that right after Chicago. Nice. Um, so that was the one time from start to finish and beyond that I felt safe. And it's crazy. It was the most diverse race that I've ever been to. It's also the only full marathon that I've ever signed up for bef- again before even running it. I was like, oh, I'm game. I'm in it. I'm coming back next year. And I hadn't even ran the race. Um, but it was because it was so secure. I didn't have to worry about anybody asking me if I was fast enough. It, it was no pressure. Um there's tanks everywhere. There's military everywhere. <laughs> I felt safe. That was that is honestly the one time, and I had all my kind of. I feel like I'm starting to have this big group of meetup now at Marine Corps. Is all these black runners, but we had a kind of a small meetup. Um, accidental. Everyone came and huddled around me, and then you know it ends up being a big group. And at the expo, but we all were running together, saw them all at the finish line afterwards, um, cheered them for their first 50Ks. It just, it was a fantastic race. But that's the first time that I actually did not worry about my safety. I didn't worry if my Garmin was shooting out a beacon to my dad or anybody else. I didn't worry about anything, even with the wind, rain, the Texas heat that came in the last third of the race. I didn't worry about if I was going to pass out. I, I didn't. Part of that's training, but I didn't worry about any of that from a security wise. That is it took how the power, the power yeah. of the U S Marines. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's funny, but it's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it, it took all of that after all these races and not just because they were good looking or anything, but it took all of that for me to really feel safe. The Marines, mm. maybe well. also, Virginia, but yeah, I just, um, that that's what it took for me. So uh, I think in short, as we, you know, kind of move forward, my thing is just, it, it starts with people making a change. It starts with them thinking about things differently Um, having this conversation, like I said, I I have this huge marketing background. So a lot of that, when I see things, uh, you know, I'm really interested in making sure that if the ad shows a curvy black girl, you're more than likely going to see a rush of comments or people probably saying, oh my gosh, thank you. This person looks like me. Oh, this fits me, da da da, because they see themselves. You know, we, when one person opens up the door, you're like, oh, well, I didn't know 
you know, that's a black runner like me, or that's another, you know, person that's running this pace. I can do that. You, you, once you see someone who's similar or does it, it encourages you to either do the same or to pass that along um, to someone else that's trying. So my deal, if you, you know, besides saying hi in the morning and being, you know, open to, to those are also just making sure that you have, um, I would hope to see more rogue coaches that are minorities that are, um, you know, of improvement on the slower paces, um, to make sure that we're well balanced and not just speed, 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 but we understand that we have an entry point coming in and helping to make sure that people are inclusive in shape, size, and, um, and, and thought in that. Cause that's part of what I liked about Marine Corps was it's, it's, it's everybody, um, whether you have limbs, whether you have your Marine, um, you're, you're here for, you know, your cousin who served, uh, you're just here cause you want to run a race or you like, it's just the stories. And now I get why it's the people's, you know, the people's marathon. But when I looked on that race, that race indicates what I should and should see at every single race and organization, this inclusive and diverse, uh, place. That's what we really are. So um, even if you don't run Marine Corps, you can see the finish lines and all that they do, but that's what should be done in the marketing. That's what should be done in our, you know, having more coaches um, and reaching out and connecting. So I, I hope that this is just kind of the start of it um, from, from what we could do. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, one of the things for me, I always say this, but it's not, it's not just lip service is that, you know, to me, there's no slow. There's only degrees of fast if you're willing to step out the door and go for a run. And I truly believe that everyone, regardless of where they are on that spectrum of fast is worthy of being treated equally, first of all, but also worthy of getting access to the same tools, resources, mindset that says, Hey, you've got a goal. It's as important as anybody else's. We're going to help you get there. So that's how I think about it. But I also know that, you know, there's a lot of things that maybe don't sync up with that. And it's a constant battle trying to snuff those other messages out and they all come in these subtle ways and subtle biases that you know or maybe blind spots that you know some of what we've talked about today so i appreciate you very much alex for for not only using your voice in that video on your blog to challenge me but also for being willing to come and talk to me today i feel like we're only scratching the surface 82 minutes into our discussion but that's how you got to start right yeah i mean i'm i'm glad to not just be the the voice i guess or speaking out of this but also um you know part of what i i've got to do and what we have to do is not be silent i mean if i didn't speak up and actually share my blog with you like hey here it is and say hey 
I'm willing to go on a podcast and and put it out there. Um, we can't be silent because if you guys don't know, if if you give us the opportunity to talk and no one talks, or it's the same people always talking, um, then you don't get the message across. So that's why it was important for me when I came here to talk about other running groups and to talk about other people who have dealt with this. Because what I've seen is that it's only, you know, it's only this race. It's only this group. Like there's only black girls run and there's only black men run. Or there's countless, countless, uh, you know, uh, running groups, especially in Atlanta in particular, like uh, Running Nerds is one. Um, And then there's an actual race called The Race, which is a black uh, race <laughs> in Atlanta. It'd be in October. Have a 5K, I think it is, and a half. It might be a 10K. I think it's a 5K and a half. And that race was put on. It's all black, uh, owned, put on by us, for us in that area. And so that's one of countless other races. Um, we have here in Dallas the Kwanzaa Fest uh, 5K that happens, has an amazing race director. Um, she, she's been putting that on for years. Uh, Bridget has, and it's part of the hall of fame that I talked about too. Um, but these are races that I, and organizations that I myself want to continue to share about and to put other people on platforms. Um, so that way other bigger races and organizations know that these people and places need support and how can we support them financially or send runners there? Um, you know, there, there are other ways that I can help connect the two or simply saying, Hey, you know, what does it take to be a run coach? Um, and giving coaches yeah, a minority opportunity to not only get certified because it is very hard to be certified, but making sure that they have opportunity to be pace leaders. So, you know, if somebody wants to be one, in particular in Rogue, that comes up and says, I want to be pace leader. How do I start, um, you know, to do that? We, we've got that, you know, support system and say, hey, Mitch here in Dallas and Chris definitely can help you. Let me send that email on to them and you guys, you know, be able to help uh, lead the way and continue to open up the door um, if they're a good fit. So I think it's a two-way street. You know, we have to speak up and and acts and and talk about our stories and then also be met and listening ears and we come together and kumbaya and yeah. stuff so. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for also giving me the grace as a white man who's never faced these things to talk about it openly and to make mistakes sometimes and how i talk about it but but you got to start again like i said you got to start somewhere and i appreciate you giving me the opportunity to chat with you about it today this has been really, really educational for me and um, my commitment to you is we'll keep talking about it and keep working yeah. on it together. If anything, you know, I, I'm here as a person that's definitely in the running community. So I do listen. I kind of tune out on the techie stuff of like the details <laughs> of the fast people. I'm like, no, let me go to the, let me go to the, uh, the, what was the race? Like we, when we had a, I definitely tuned in for the MCM one. That was a good one. Um, and of mm-hmm. course is on. So I listened to the fun stuff <laughs> that comes on a lot of part, but uh, yeah, anytime that you might want on um, not just for race and inclusivity, but um, anything doors open. Um, 
pretty much stuck awesome. now with the rope. Mitch is not going <laughs> to let me go anywhere. <laughs> and nor are my girls uh, help coach out there too. So we're, we're a big family, awesome. but glad to uh, be a part. And um, truly, of course, I look forward to the release of it. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. So there you go. Alex Williams, thank you so much for raising this, for challenging me, for bringing your voice to this topic and being willing to join in with me. And also, like I said, give me the grace to make some mistakes in the conversation because believe me, I I don't have it all figured out. I am not on a soapbox here. I want everybody to understand that. That is not where I come from with this conversation. It's more that I know that I have some of these implicit biases myself and they're pervasive in even my running community here at Rogue. And so the point of this conversation is just to try to talk about and bring to light, bring to the light some of these challenges and admit where maybe I could be wrong or don't know everything I need to know. And I'm still learning. And I want to thank Alex for teaching me there. But of course, this is an ongoing conversation and dialogue that has many, many, many layers and needs to be continued to dis- to do- to be discussed. And I'm committed to being a part of those discussions. So thanks to all of you who made it this far as listeners. I really appreciate you engaging and being willing to ask those same questions. As always, as we wrap this episode, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.